please turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus and chapter 14. In a message I've entitled, Fear Not, Stand Firm, and See, we're continuing our series from the book of Exodus, and we find ourselves at a climactic chapter and turning point in this story, this true story of God's deliverance of his people from their slavery in Egypt, and as we do each week, making real practical connections to Christ and his earthly ministry, death and triumphant resurrection in our salvation as well. As we look at chapter 14 this morning, as Dave led us effectively last week through chapter 13, we join the people of God as they are triumphantly marching out of Egypt. The Israelites are free. They are no longer slaves. They are headed to the promised land. Their hearts, no doubt, are filled with a new reality that they are unfamiliar with, hope. Hope for the future fills their heart. But as they left Egypt, Dave noted, you observed, the journey took a most unexpected turn. The Lord led them on a longer way home. He took them on an offbeat route, not the shortest route, not the most direct route, not the route that the Google Maps of that day would have said they should follow. He took them on a much longer journey than expected not only because of his care for his people, but because of his glory in his confrontation with Egypt. So it's this unusual route that sets the stage for our final confrontation with Pharaoh. And as we begin, I want you to ask yourself this question. As Christians, it is not uncommon that our journey often takes an unexpected turn and the path Christ leads us, leads us in unanticipated ways. When life takes an unexpected turn, how do we experience the personal care and protection and guidance? of God. Exodus chapter 14. This is God's word. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pihaharoth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal, Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. 
and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So Pharaoh made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea at Pi-Haharoth in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. There was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night." Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. 
And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. And in the morning, Watch the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud look down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians." Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Verse 30, thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. This is God's word. Thanks be to him. Last week in chapter 13, we considered how the powerful hand of God delivers and redeems and leads us on what he has prepared for us. This morning, we're reading about the most famous event in the Old Testament describing the central act of God in saving his people, an act which reveals his steadfast love to them and fulfills his promise to Abraham. The event is so significant that Moses, the author of Exodus, will tell it twice. In chapter 14, we have it in narrative form. And in chapter 15, which we'll look at next week, Moses composes a song, a poem, if you will, that celebrates this miraculous deliverance. Well, most importantly, whether this event be told in story form or composed to be sung, the New Testament pictures this chapter as a future Exodus that Jesus himself speaks to Moses about in the pages of Luke's gospel. A future Exodus where Moses and the prophet Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration listen as Jesus describes for them a new Exodus 
prior to his departure through his death in Jerusalem. So we will look at today's passage from the experience of the Israelites. How will the Lord rescue them? And we will consider this story and its relevance for us through Christ and his rescue of us. Let's look at the first part of the chapter together. Point one, our lives do often take unexpected turns, but every Christian experiences the personal care and guidance of God. Every Christian experiences God's personal care and guidance. Chapter 14 opens in really some astonishing ways. In verse 1, we read, the Lord tells Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back. It's right there in our scripture, verse 2. Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of the sea. In other words, with the Red Sea behind them. If you are fleeing the Egyptians, you don't camp with the Red Sea behind you and the desert before you unless you are designing a trap with no visible means of escape. And yet it is the Lord who led through pillars of cloud and miraculous fire by day and night to this very location. This location in verse 1 and 2 where the two million or so freed slaves now in camp was divinely designed by the Lord himself. And no doubt the Egyptian army is observing them. For in verse 3, it says that the report reaches Pharaoh's council. They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. In other words, Pharaoh and his generals conclude they're lost. They're confused. They're disoriented. And then we see that this is all orchestrated in verse 4 by the Lord himself where Moses announces and what the Lord tells him, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He will pursue them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. Our lives as Christians often take unexpected turns. The Israelites did not anticipate that their journey to the promised land would bring them to a place where they were walled in by the sea and, if you will, trapped by the desert. And yet, God has been, since their deliverance, his constant companion in the pillar of fire and in the cloud by day, the presence of the Lord has been with them, providing for them, protecting them, and guiding them. 
And so it does for the reader as it did for this generation raise the question, what is the purpose for which the Lord has led them here? And how will the Lord rescue me? No doubt that concern took on even greater height as in when we read verses 5 and 6 and 7, Pharaoh gives the order to send his massive army with its chariots and horsemen, symbols of just overwhelming strength and force to pursue the Israelites. Verse 9, the Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen, and his army overtook them and camped as they were by the sea. I tried to put myself into the story as I read this this week. And as I sought to imagine myself with the two million or so freed slaves there by the sea, lifting my eyes, verse 10, and beholding in the desert what looks like a storm of sand, a desert plume as this massive force, this army marches after them. I think I would have been with those crying out the loudest in verse 11. Moses, is this because there are no graves in Egypt that you have brought us here to die? Verse 12, it would have been better for us to remain in Egypt as slaves and to serve the Egyptians and to die now in the wilderness. What have you done in bringing us out of Egypt? It's remarkable, isn't it, as we look at this, perhaps with a little Monday morning quarterback in us, how quickly the Israelites have forgotten what the Lord has done. They have witnessed 10 catastrophic plagues leveled at the greatest nation at that time. In fact, it appears they are even apt or vulnerable to revise their past, describing life in Egypt as a slave more preferable than freedom in the wilderness. And they're emboldened to verbalize their belief. They are viewing their present circumstance that the Lord himself has led them into. not only complaining loudly, but accusing Moses, criticizing Moses of misleading them. Most 13 and 14 then, really, which is in my thinking, the sweet spot of the entire chapter. Moses says quite impressively, fear not, stand firm, See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. It's when our lives take these unexpected turns. It's when in our journey 
as Christians, we experience unanticipated events that we need to remind ourselves of the personal care and guidance of God as Christians. And in this passage, I believe, which would provide great comfort, not only to Israel who received it, but to that generation about to receive the promised land, the Lord is with them. He has been with them as his, their constant companion because he loves them and has committed to provide and protect and guide them. And it's so when our lives take those unexpected turns and we are face to face with someone or something we fear, in this case, the prospect of almost certain death at the hands of the Egyptians, and in our cases, difficulties and trials and challenges and uncertainties for which we have no answer that we are called to remember that God in Christ has promised to be with us. Amen? Amen. And he is personally caring for us in the midst of the circumstances that don't feel like they're going our way. I think this is really hard to do. I think it's really hard for me, at least I'll speak personally, to stand firm and believe and wait to see the salvation of the Lord when my plans don't go as I thought. When my family isn't turning out the way the parenting seminar told it. When the church or this church or the greater body of Christ is responding or acting or struggling in ways that I never imagined when I joined this journey. Or even my own heart, my own temptations. There are those temptations that seem seasonal and then there's those temptations that I face and I imagine some of you do. They aren't just sinful, but they reveal my weaknesses. It's besetting because I'm weak and I'm not strong. And though I have those verses, we are more than conquerors in Christ, I'm confronted with my weakness and I often feel lost. It's in that moment, passages like this remind me that God who not only has saved me, is leading me and has promised his care and guidance on the journey I am on. I, in other words, not where I am by mistake. I'm not here in this destination that I face by accident. Not if I believe that it is the Lord who is with me and has promised to guide me. That's comforting to me. May that be comforting to you. May this week, as you go into your week and you're with people, who are where you're a follower of Jesus and you have experienced, even if they are cynical, of the mercies of God, let them hear by faith our confidence that he, through faith in Christ, is with us. 
And therefore, although I am not clear or even certain what the future holds, this much I know, he has committed to be with me, to be with us because he loves me, because he cares for me, because in Christ, as a brother reminded me yesterday, he enjoys me because I am his. But it's hard to wait, isn't it? It is hard. So we have to practice it. We have to practice it a lot. We pray a lot while we wait, don't we? We invite others into our wait. We're impatient, and so we invite patient people into our wait. And if your pastor's not patient, invite a patient sister or brother who will wait. But we wait. But then there comes a time where we act, where we obey, where having prayed, the Lord now says, go, move forward, cross the Red Sea. Cross the Red Sea. And that brings us to our second point. The Lord who fights for us is a God who miraculously delivers us. This passage screams the supernatural. The God who is in control and urges his people not to panic calls them through Moses to live by faith because he's about to move. He is about to move. But before he does, what does he tell his people to do? Verse 15, go forward. Go forward. Go forward into the sea. I didn't know this. But the YMCA swimming classes were not offered in Egypt. The ancient Hebrews didn't know how to swim. They didn't take, what was it called? Minnows and sharks and killer whales or whatever those classes were in the Y, which we love going where we learned how to swim. They were terrified of water. So when Moses says to them, go forward, they're not thinking God's about to do the unprecedented, the unrepeatable, the incomprehensible part of the Red Sea. They're thinking they're going swimming, right? I mean, what else could they have been thinking? Except everything up until that point had been unexpected and completely unthinkable. Moses didn't even know up to that point how God would deliver them. He's only told there in those verses we just read in 15 and 16, this is what I'll do. Extend your staff, lift your staff, verse 16, stretch out your hand and divide the sea with it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. We've seen earlier in Exodus how the staff of God symbolizes God's presence and God's power which got a lot done during the plagues, didn't it? But this would be the first moment where Moses is learning how they were going to escape. How are we going to escape? How will the Lord rescue us? We're going through the sea. That's how we're going to escape. They were trapped. It was hopeless. Or though they assumed, head for the sea head for the sea. This command was no doubt overwhelming to the Israelites because they 
had nothing in their experience or imagination to prepare them for this miraculous deliverance. But the Lord says in verse 17 and 18, through which Moses surely communicated, through this I will be glorified, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Another deeply comforting, compassionate passage. I imagine many of the Israelites even with the command to go and cross the Red Sea, we're hopeless. This, no one planned this. They, they don't know that they're writing chapter 14 in the Bible. They have nothing. For 400 years, they've seen nothing like this. And now God is about to do, which they have no prior experience with. Friend, the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news for the hopeless. When we celebrate the birth of Jesus, it's beginning next week, we're celebrating the birth of God himself, who up to that point in history was invisible, spirit, untouchable, not seeable, that's a word, by human eyes. Taking on flesh, becoming an infant, so that we could see him and touch him and draw near to him and begin to have a relationship with him and experience through his life of love and humility and obedience to God's commands and sacrifice and death and crucifixion as a sacrifice for sinners and his triumphant resurrection. God was going to do through Christ what for a sinner who has offended his creator and has no ability to be reconciled to him or to do enough good works to somehow satisfy the guilt and the shame and the judgment due him. God was about to do the unthinkable. No one anticipated it. It wasn't in the playbook. I think when we forget the gospel, we forget that Christianity is good news for the hopeless. We start to believe that Christianity is good news for the victorious, for the people who got it together for the people who look like they're together, for the people that have answers to everything and talk like they're together. But this chapter heralds that salvation is good news, not for those who have it together, but for those who reach a place in their journey where they are hopeless and they don't have answers and they need God to do something it's not in the playbook, but nonetheless miraculous. I don't know if young Silas is a Christian or not, but I know this. There's an 11-year-old walking the streets of Philadelphia that experienced the reality that the 
God of Christianity is a God who loves to show his goodness when we reach that space of I can't do it anymore. I can't fix it anymore. I can't solve this problem anymore. I can't save myself or this circumstance anymore. Amen? We learn that when we come to Christ as a new Christian. And the Lord in his faithfulness will take us on a journey of unanticipated turns and unexpected outcomes that brings us to this place where we not only learn by faith, but we learn that it is the Lord who fights for us. And it is God and God alone who can miraculously deliver us. So we look to him and ask him and wait on him and watch for him to move. And that, of course, is what he did for the Israelites. Verse 19, the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved. He went behind them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness. Verse 20, it lit up the night for the Israelites. While it was dark for the Egyptians, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night, and the waters were divided. The people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued, they went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, his horsemen, and in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces, throwing them into a panic, clogging their wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee before the Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Psalm 77 describes this section in vivid detail, and we don't have time to go into it. But when you read Psalm 77, a psalm by Asaph, it describes a scene particularly for Israel as they beheld God's miraculous deliverance where the ground is shaking and thunder is shattering the skies and rain is coming down and these walls of water are piling up. Meanwhile, the people of God go through in the early hours of the morning, completely lit and on dry ground and Egypt in darkness, in panic, with creation collapsing around them. We read of Egypt's tragic end in verses 26 and 28. It's a devastating and humiliating defeat for the world's greatest army at that time. But God's glory is on display as the people of Israel, verse 29, walk on dry ground and the Lord, verse 30, saves Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. It says Israel saw the Egyptian dead that day. Verse 31, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. And the people, the account concludes, feared the Lord. They believed in the Lord and in his servants, Moses. Their redemption from slavery had been accomplished. 
the dead Egyptians are a sign that their 400-year enslavement to Egypt has come to a decisive end. They are now free to serve the Lord and make their way to the land he has promised. They have a new life. They have a new identity. They are headed in a new direction. The Lord fights for us. The Lord is a God who miraculously delivers us. And so as Christians, as we conclude this passage, we realize two things, and I conclude with these. That in Christ, my third and last point, the greater exodus has taken place. In Christ, the greater exodus has taken place. You might find yourself this morning, particularly my friends who stream, thinking as I once thought, maybe like you, that if I had witnessed this deliverance, it would most certainly prompt in me fear of God and trust in him as well. But I've never seen anything like this in my life. And I would say to you as a Christian, that is true. But as a Christian, I have witnessed something much greater, much more significant. As significant as it is the deliverance of this people from slavery to a promised land, Jesus, prior to his crucifixion, had a conversation with Moses in the mystery of that moment on a mountain where it says in Luke 9, they spoke to Christ of his departure. In the Greek, the word is exodus. They spoke to Christ of his exodus, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. So we overhear this conversation in Luke 9, and the topic on the Mount of Transfiguration is Jesus' impending death, and Jesus is using the language of chapter 14 to describe what he is about to do. In other words, he is talking about the significance of his death as leading to a greater exodus than even Moses Witness. In fact, Moses wasn't able to complete the job. He dies on the mountain. He's not able to lead the people to the promised land. He can't. But Christ comes. And Moses could not be more excited in Luke chapter 9. For he is about to depart, if you will, and lead through his death and resurrection. A rescue of not only Israelites, but people everywhere, including me and you, who need to be rescued from our bondage to sin and God's just judgment for sin. We too are trapped. We too are hopeless and helpless to save ourselves in light of God's holiness. But a greater exodus has come. An exodus that Jesus lives today to lead you on 
So if you are a Christian, and many of you are, you have experienced this greater exodus, a much greater exodus, more miraculous than even the Israelite experience of theirs when they walked through the Red Sea, because Christ has walked through the waters of God's judgment on our behalf. Sin and death and wrath, which was due you and me, has been satisfied. And his death, like the dead of the Egyptians that littered the shores of the Red Sea, his death and resurrection, his departure, in other words, has accomplished your greatest deliverance. It's the best news possible. But if you're not a Christian, there's even better news because the Red Sea is still parted for you. If you will trust in the exodus that Christ provides for you, the risen Christ of the cross and resurrection, the baby born in Bethlehem, the sea is parted for you until you die. And since you do not know when you will die, and either do I, don't postpone walking the path that Christ has opened for you. Instead, by faith in him and through repentance, which means turning to him and moving to him and confessing to him, you can be delivered from sin and its consequences by receiving the gracious provision of his son or you can drown in the wrath of God when we die and face a most certain judgment. The man or woman or child who by faith trusts in Christ and his death for their sins, they will experience the greater exodus in Christ. For in Christ, the greatest exodus has occurred. How has the Lord's, as I conclude, miraculous grace in delivering you deepened your worship and trust and desire to live for him more faithfully this week of Thanksgiving? How has his miraculous grace in taking you on a greater exodus deepened your worship and trust and desire? And who in our life can we pray for this holiday season and speak of the mercies of Christ who died in our place for our redemption. Let's pray. Lord, when we leave here today as Christians, we will no doubt have moments and even more than moments, questions that confront us, that challenge us to trust you even as we continue to follow you. So as we conclude, we thank you, Lord, as Christians that, that you are with us and have promised, Lord, to continue to personally care for us and will guide us. Lord, you fight for us, to use the words of the passage. And you are a God who has miraculously delivered us through Jesus Christ. So Lord, we 
we agree with Christ when he says that whoever believes his word and believe in him has crossed over from death to life. Thank you for this greater deliverance and help us, Lord, as we wait on you to continue to speak to others of the mercies we have received. Lord, as we fear not, stand firm and wait on the salvation of the Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.